Today's reading is Luke 19, verse 1 to 10. Zacchaeus, the, the tax collector. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give you half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Beth, very much indeed. It's great to be with you tonight, looking at this passage from Luke chapter 19, and it may help you to have that still open. It's page 1043. 53, sorry, in our church Bibles. Now, I, I reckon, but I could be wrong, I reckon that being curious, being curious is both much easier and much harder than it used to be. Let me explain. It, it's easier, clearly, because of how well connected we are via our phones and our iPads, whatever it is we use. Does anybody here remember the last time they needed to know something and they went and looked it up in a book. Okay, Jenny, yeah, okay, yeah, Tim, one or two of you, but almost nobody. It's like, like even 10 years ago, certainly 15, 20, you wouldn't have really understood the question. And I just love the fact that we can so easily and quickly get hold of information. And we'll be sat in a staff meeting and somebody will say something about a song or a person or a place. And literally within 30 seconds, three or four people in the room have got that song or that person or that place on the phone and they're sort of showing it around. And it's just like, if, if, you, if you took... 20-year-old me into that meeting and showed me that, I would have literally just fallen over, blown away. It is so amazing how easy it is to be curious. But there is another side to it. Here's the catch. It's much harder to decide what to be curious about because so many different things are competing for our attention. And of course, we don't really know how reliable everything is. Which of the hundreds of headlines or, or pieces of stuff that arrive on my phone every single day am I going to follow up? Which am I going to pay attention to? Which am I going to decide, ooh, that looks interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll push that and I'll, I'll see what's going on here. It's quite likely not certain, but it's quite likely, it might be something superficial, something that excites rather than informs. And so what can happen is that we end up mildly curious about lots of things and people that don't really matter, and yet we let the big issues, we let the deep 
concerns and matters for our day, we let them slide away because our attention is grabbed by what is superficial and trite. So before we go any further, I'd just like, if you could, just to, uh, for you to think in your own mind, like on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 is like really not bothered about anything, 10 is hyper-curious, I'm interested in any knowledge, any whatever, just where would you put yourself on that scale? So just have a little think about that, and maybe just turn to the person next to you and give them a number and an explanation of where you are on the slider of curiosity. (laughs) So so the the question is, so how how curious are you about the world? Are you going to... Yeah. I don't know. So, 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 like, are you interested in things and people, finding out about them? Yeah, yeah, see, there you go. Good, all right, wonderful. There will be, there will naturally be a spread around the room about kind of how, how curious we, we are, but also the things that we are curious about. And I just want to explore that a little bit more deeply today by looking at this amazing incident that Luke records in chapter 19 that Beth read for us. Now, Luke doesn't tell us, he, he just doesn't say what it was that ignited Zacchaeus's curiosity. But he simply tells us that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. That's the kind of, that's the starting point. Now, there were many reasons we could guess. Jesus had notoriety. Everyone was talking about him. Jesus had a huge following of people. He had lots of enthusiastic supporters. And Jesus was known, as we've seen in this series, for flouting the religious traditions of the day. There were religious traditions of being exclusive in the sense of shutting out other people and just being with your own tribe and your own people. And uh, for some, the way to be holy, the way to be holy was to be withdrawn and to be judgy of other people and look down on them. Uh, Jesus was known not to be at all like that and he was even known to like and spend time with as friends at tax collectors and the people who are right on the margins. So we're going to look through the passage in Luke 19 twice today, both times looking at the themes of curiosity and determination. And we're going to begin by looking at it from Zacchaeus's point of view. If you look at verse 2, you will see that Zacchaeus was both a social and a community outcast. Now, sometimes with, we're, we're used to think about outcasts as that people are at the bottom of the pile. Uh, Zacchaeus was different. He was at the very top of the pile. He was an elite cheat that everybody despised but couldn't avoid or ignore. And that was because he was not just a tax collector but a chief tax collector. And his isolation was deepened by his huge wealth. Wealth gained 
at the expense of the very community that he lived in. And this reminds us that for Jesus, wealth was more often a problem, a problem that can be overcome with grace and with love, uh, but it was definitely a problem for somebody uh, rather than the way that we often see it and actually the way people often saw it then, that in a sense wealth was something uh, it, that was an advantage. It was in someone's favor. But quite often we see and hear Jesus challenging that thought and actually saying, well, you, you, know, you, you can come to me, you, you can get right with God, but the fact that you're rich is a problem that we have to overcome uh, together. Zacchaeus' response, though, uh, was to decide, I'm going to go where I know Jesus is. And it's very, very intensely simple and practical. I'm curious, so I'm going to go to where he is and see if I can find out more. When you look at verse 3, you will remember that Zacchaeus is short. And because of who he is, chief tax collector, because of how instantly recognizable he is, the crowd aren't going to cut him any slack. So there's this big crowd all milling around, all following Jesus, wanting to hear what's going on, wanting to see him, uh, talk to him, be touched by him, maybe because they want to be healed. Nobody is going to let Zacchaeus in through the crowd. And so he can't get to the front where he wants to be. So his response is to go ahead of the crowd and to climb a tree on Jesus' route, thinking, this just be great. I'm just going to sit in a tree. No one's going to see me. No one's going to mind me. Maybe I'm going to see Jesus like close up because I'm in a tree and he's going to walk right down there. Or maybe I'm going to overhear something that he says. He thinks that's going to be enough to satisfy his curiosity. Sit in the tree, just get a little anonymous glimpse of what's going on. And everything hinges around verse 5. Jesus saying to Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house. It's a very powerfully personal image. But it, it's not one that should surprise us if we've been reading Luke's gospel. Because again and again and again, Jesus uses this image uh, but also uses the very fact of eating together, being with somebody. He uses that image uh, very powerfully. But what was Zacchaeus to do? Jesus had issued this most personal and public of self-invitations to lunch. It was considerably more than Zacchaeus had planned for. It was way more personal than uh, discreetly observing Jesus from a tree. Now, Zacchaeus has got the prospect of the two of them back for lunch at his house. And his response is, to, is courageous. He decides he's going to invite Jesus back for lunch. But I wonder what he was thinking. As the two, I don't know how far it was from the sycamore tree to where Zacchaeus lived. But they must have walked there together. I wonder, you know, wonder what he's thinking. I think he was nervous. You know, what's Jesus going to say? How is this going to go down? I think he was probably a little bit of him was overjoyed. You know, the, the, the person he, he really wanted to meet, maybe not this close up, he's now literally walking alongside. I think there was also a sense of, you know, vulnerability. Gosh, suddenly I am alone with Jesus. What's this going to bring? We're going to come back to the meal, but let's first look at what happens after the meal, which we see in verse 7. After the meal, there is criticism and muttering from all the people. 
and they are moved by jealousy and by resentment. And, and I totally get that, because in their minds, Zacchaeus is a traitorous cheat. And I think the crowd felt, Jesus is our guy. He's, he's the people's guy. He's on our side. He, he's against people like Zacchaeus, they felt, who are oppressing us and making our life a misery. He's for us, normal, decent people. And yet, what's he doing going in and having lunch with Zacchaeus? Now, that could have shut Zacchaeus up or could have pushed him back to his old ways. But it didn't. His response is to go ahead and make this amazing announcement of restoration. And in verse 8, we see that his joyful and generous start to life as a Christian disciple, having listened to Jesus, having spoken with Jesus, Zacchaeus responds justly, generously. Now, I'm sure that there were many other things that had to be put right in his life as time went on. You know, I've been a Christian uh, for you know, nearly 40 years. And there's lots of times where I have had to face new things about myself and new things in me that need the grace and the love and the healing of Jesus. It doesn't happen in one moment. But what a great start uh, Zacchaeus makes. I don't know how long, Luke doesn't tell us how long Zacchaeus had been watching and waiting and yearning for the chance to meet with Jesus. But it did remind me of a line from one of my favorite novelists, a novelist from Canada called Douglas Coupland. And one of his characters says this. They say, my secret is that I need God, that I am sick and can no longer make it on my own. A brilliant description of where Zacchaeus was. My secret is that I need God, that I'm sick and can no longer make it on my own. And maybe that, that rings a bell or resonates with your own experience. But as you've probably spotted, Luke is not just telling a story of Zacchaeus' curiosity and his determination. He's also telling a story of Jesus' determination and compassion. Jesus' bare-faced self-invitation to lunch at Zacchaeus' house unveils his true identity and mission. And it should be an enormous encouragement to all of us here. So let's go back a second time and look at the passage through Jesus' eyes. In verse 1, we are reminded that Jesus is often on the move now, of course, Jesus withdrew, he prayed, he relaxed with friends. But the Gospels often portray a restless urgency in Jesus. Essentially him saying, there are new people that I need to be with today. And so he's always moving on, moving forward, because there are people that he wants to meet. Verse 5 reminds us that Jesus loved a crowd, loved being in a crowd, loved teaching a crowd. I think loved the energy of all of that. But so many of the high points of Jesus' ministry were, in a sense, on the side of a crowd, where Jesus could be one-to-one, face-to-face with an individual. And that, that will be the part of every single Christian journey here, that however much we love the crowd and the vibe and the noise, 
and encouragement. We know that deep down it is me and it is Jesus. It is one to one. And that the, that's where the important things happen. And however much the, that being part of something bigger can encourage and resource and envision us, it's also got to be at me, quietly, on my own, with him. Now Luke doesn't tell us whether Jesus had known about this appointment with Zacchaeus for ages, or whether it was revealed to him in the moment as he stops and looks up at the tree. What we do know is the seriousness and the intent and the intense intimacy of his opening words to Zacchaeus. Jesus sees Zacchaeus. He sees all the barriers that Zacchaeus has overcome. Jesus sees all the determination and the courage that curiosity has required. Jesus sees his rich but empty life. He sees his resourcefulness. Jesus sees Zacchaeus. He doesn't see just rich, miserable, thieving, traitor Zacchaeus. He sees a lost son of Abraham who needs to be restored. And that's why he's urgent and personal at the same time. Zacchaeus, he says, come down immediately. It's not Zacchaeus, make an appointment for a week on Tuesday. It's Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must, hear that? I, not I'd like to, I must stay at your house today. I think Jesus, when they had that meal, must have really laid it on the line with Zacchaeus, both in terms of how much he was loved and valued, but also at the fact that his cheating and his manipulation and his oppression and his injustice needed to stop today. Now, it's a lovely uh, verse in another part of the scripture that says, Today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And God calls to us in the now and says, Today, today we have things to attend to. I have things to do, things for you to hear, ways in which you need to be put back together. Zacchaeus is a son of Abraham, lost and confused, but made in the image of God. And Jesus essentially repeats what we read a few weeks ago in Luke 5 when we were thinking of the calling of Matthew, where Jesus had said, I have not come to call the righteous, the good people, the people that have it all sorted out and all sewn up, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. And this time he frames it in terms of his mission For the Son of Man, that's Jesus' way of talking about himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is how God is, Jesus is saying, on earth, seeking, saving, restoring, putting back together and sending people out at different. Now I've realized as we finish once again, I've realized once again this week that I am probably at my happiest with the spiritually curious. I love spending time with spiritually curious people. Here are some of the things that I have learnt over the years. For anybody here who would sort of say, that's who I am. I am spiritually, not there yet, but I'm, I'm curious. I want to dive deeper. I want to know more. Or maybe you have friends 
uh, people that you've been praying for, uh, people that you love deeply, who, who, in whom you spot these signs of curiosity. Here are some of the things that I've learned over the years. Firstly, really good to ask why you are curious. It often starts with a need or an experience of wonder and of joy that kind of disarms you or a sense of a lack of something missing. And I think probably for Zacchaeus, that's where it all started, didn't it? Because he, he outwardly had everything. And yet still there was this yearning that things were not right. But in my experience, that whatever, it is, whatever that beginning point is, it always opens out into something far deeper and greater and more wonderful. And I would just say to you, don't be scared. Don't give up when you feel the horizons are expanding and and the land in which you're walking is getting deeper. That is how it is for the spiritually curious. Don't be scared. Don't give up. Lean in. Keep going. Secondly, it will take your determination. It won't be an easy, passive ride. It will take your determination. It will take your vulnerability. It will take your being open to being challenged by Jesus, listening carefully to Jesus. It is worth it. But it's not as though it won't demand things of you that challenge you at the very core of who you are. Next, Jesus is determined to win you back. He is determined to restore you. He wants your friendship. He wants you reconciled with God and with neighbor. And of course, we are in a far better position to see that than even Zacchaeus was because we know the depth in the cross and in the resurrection. We know the depth and the reach of Jesus' resolute love, that nothing, I mean nothing, was going to stop him showing and achieving the results of his love. And lastly, here are some common milestones that I've seen in the progression and the journey of the spiritually curious. If that is you, maybe just kind of check your progress, see where you are. Or if it's a a friend or someone that you're praying for, just sort of tune in and see where you think they are. I think often one of the first big milestones is the shocking realization that the God that you are reaching out to often somewhat blindly, not really knowing where to find God, where to find peace, where to find beauty, but you're reaching for it. And there comes a moment where there's a shocking realization that the God you are reaching for has actually come alongside you and wants to help you and wants to commune deeply with you. And that's why it's such a thrill that in Luke's gospel, eating The simple, intimate act of eating is often used as a picture of what it means to be close to Jesus. The second milestone is often a change of heart, a saying sorry. And sometimes that is painful as we begin to see ourselves and the the bits of us that are most broken where there's most difficulty or where, like Zacchaeus, we have just been treading on other people. And there comes this moment of realization when we see ourselves more clearly than before. 
And that thirdly can lead to our feeling compelled to begin to start putting things right. So we begin to think in terms of what restoration does Jesus want me to make? How, as someone who is loved by Jesus, do I seek justice? How, as someone who loves and is loved by Jesus, do I bring reconciliation? Do I, I bring broken people and things back together? The next milestone is that we begin to live a new life in the community. I'm guessing Zacchaeus moved house. He'd given away half of his possessions. He probably had to move house. He definitely had to get a new job. He wasn't going to be a tax collector anymore. I wonder how he got on getting on with his neighbors, these people that he'd both cheated and then repaid. Must have taken so much determination. And then the last milestone. And some people take a long time to get here. Some people don't get here at all. But this is where Jesus is taking us. The last milestone is that we begin to love other people as Jesus loves them. That we don't despair over other people. We don't look down on other people. We don't write them off as beyond God's love or beyond our compassion. We start to love other people as Jesus loves them. We start to see them, as Jesus would say, as daughters and sons of Abraham. People that need to be restored and reconciled to God. Isn't that a beautiful journey that Jesus sets out before us? And there are many milestones, but those are some of the key ones. And it may be that you recognize one or more of those in yourself. As we close, let me say two things. Firstly, friends, as we've heard on the video and as Louise has said and prayed for us, there is no time like this time to be reaching out to the spiritually curious. It might be mulled wine that gets them in. It might be all kinds of other things. But th this is the time when, as a church, we go into deliberate overdrive and say, we are putting things on in this place that are deliberately and specifically designed for the spiritually curious. And we still live in a culture where that invitation is much more likely to be heard and received and acted on now till Christmas than at other times of the year. So let's be smart. And let's invite lots of people. You, you know the thing about invitations, don't you? The thing about invitations is you, it doesn't matter whether the person says yes or no. What matters is that we make the invitation. It's what we learned in part in the Talking Jesus reports, that there is something about us opening up that conversation to other people that is tremendously powerful. And if someone says no, it doesn't matter. The fact is, the important thing is we invite people. The second thing to say is, as I said, I, I'm very, very, very happy in the company of the spiritually curious. And if you just feel I am at a milestone or I'd like to be at a milestone and you just want to sit down over a coffee and, and talk about that and explore that, then grab me, email me, grab Louise, uh, email Louise, book a time with somebody that you can just unpack all of this with. We promise that we will be respectful and interested and we will listen and we will help you make your journey through this incredible set of milestones that leads in the end to being able to love and serve 
and restore other people the way that we saw uh, Zacchaeus loved, served, and restored by Jesus.